welcome to Restart Radio. This is a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we do not focus on the new shiny, shiny things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behaviour towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community electronics repair events here in London are just the beginning. My name is Lauren from the Restart Project, and I'm joined today by Ugo Valauri, who is co-founder of the Restart Project. Hi, Ugo. Hello. Great to be back. <laughs> and today we also have a very special guest on the line who is joining us all the way from the US, and that's John Bumstead of Roadkill Inc., uh, who is an artist and laptop refer- refurbisher. Hi, John. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Great to be here. Hi. <laughs> Great to have you. <laughs> Um, so sorry to get you up at this sort of ungodly hour in the morning over there. <laughs> um, oh, no problem. I had, had my coffee. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were really excited to find your um, Instagram and your website. Um, uh, can you just tell us a little bit, first of all, why you've decided to call it Roadkill Inc.? Um, well, I it, it's just kind of the idea of, you know, something that's been left by the wayside that's dead and that I, you know, take it and repair it and, you know, put it back into the world, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, a broken laptop or, you know, and additionally with the art, you know, glitch art tends to be sort of salvaging, you know, something that has, you know, been discarded or, you know, is no longer in the original condition. So, yeah, just that idea of, of you know, saving something that's been left for dead. Yeah. Kind of a goofy name. <laughs> no, it's great, and it's also it's nice that there's a sort of parallel between the um the laptops and sort of living creatures in a way. <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> um, so how how long have you been doing Roadkill Inc? And can you tell us a bit about sort of how it works? Sure, sure. Um, so I started my company about nine years ago. I was in the corporate world and for fourteen years, and I I I knew I needed the way out of that. So I had always bought and sold computers in my uh, spare time. So uh, long story short, I ended up uh, having a small uh, refurbishing business. And what I do is I buy thousands of broken computers from uh, electronics recyclers mainly, some other sources too, and then I uh, repair them, and then I sell them wholesale. And uh, so being in the unique position to get you know thousands of broken Apple uh, MacBooks, I would see the occasional, you know, machine with a, a smashed screen or, uh, you know, a, a graphics processor defect that was, you know, more interesting than usual. And so I would, uh, you know, take pictures of these and put them on an Instagram. And, you know, I didn't think much of it. I didn't think of it as art. And, uh, but, you know, it caught on a little bit. And um, after a while, it started to get more and more attention. And people started calling me an artist, which was, kind of bizarre, you know, so I had to sort of retroactively fill in the blanks as far as that went. <laughs> um, but it's but it's just gone from there, and um, I'm now in touch with the Glitch Art community and have, have friends all over the world, so it's it's been great. That's, that's really interesting that you mentioned the Glitch Art community, because uh, we've been having a look at sort of some other people who call themselves Glitch Artists, and I mean, it's a really big and diverse sort of network, but what do you think that 
the we thought there were sort of natural links between glitch artists and repairers. I mean, you've you are sort of living proof of that. But do you think there are kind of similar preoccupations or similar skill sets even that that there that, that are there? Um, you know, I'm pretty unusual in that I am. Uh, you know, I see so many laptops that I can find the the occasional one that that has a you know a, a defect that's interesting. The vast majority of laptops with uh, bad processors just have a black screen and a, a sleep light. So it would be tricky for most artists to do what I do just because they don't have a refurbishing business. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely a movement towards reusing uh, old. Uh, Equipment, you know, there, there are glitch artists of all types. There, there are ones who, uh, who are video DJs to, you know, use old CRTs and and you know manip- manipulate VCRs, uh, things like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, things are only broken or obsolete when they're viewed through the lens of their original purpose, you know. But if you change the purpose, then that thing can be, you know, fixed again essentially, and it's it, it's working in terms of its new purpose. Um, and, and I'd say in terms of glitch, there, there's definitely a movement in that direction to, to sort of look to the past and say, hey, what can we do with those old devices? John, I'm fascinated by your approach. And I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about how you actually get hold of all of these machines for refurbishing and, and whether the companies you get them from are in any way aware of the dual nature of your business? <laughs> um, mostly they're not, I would say. Um, well, in terms of the business, uh, it, it's basically a matter of just hunting down uh, electronics recyclers. Um, and I've done that, strangely enough, by uh, sourcing machines on eBay uh, for the most part. Um, recyclers that are small recyclers or new recyclers uh, or recyclers that have gotten, say, a pile of MacBooks for the first time, they tend to not know what to do with them, and so they'll put them on eBay. And uh, I'm good at spotting recyclers on eBay, and so I contact them and say, hey, you know, you don't need to list the stuff on eBay, just contact me directly. And then I'll develop an ongoing relationship where instead of posting it, they'll just contact me and I'll buy directly from them. So I don't do much of that anymore because I have a lot of established relationships with the recycling community, but uh, that's, that's kind of how I got started. How, how did you hunt, how, how do you spot them? Like, what's the difference between someone who would be casually selling a broken laptop on eBay and someone who does this as a business? Is that that they list multiple units or other things it can be that or, or generally they'll i search for macbook lot lot and you'll find you know a pile of 10 laptops and they'll be sold in as is condition and they'll say untested and um, you have to be careful because sometimes they'll say untested just trying to you know get money out of devices that are clearly broken but you know if you click on uh, the other items they're selling that's an important uh, element. If they're selling electronic, random old electronics of all types, then you have a pretty good idea. It's a recycler you're looking at, um, and then that's a good that's a good indication. So we tend to have this view that recyclers are 
all about uh, you know the very end of the market and at least in in Europe and when something actually gets recycled you this is it it's the end it's when things get ground down to to get access to the original metals or plastics or whatever for actual recycling so there is i guess some hope that at times people take out of uh, the market uh, at least in the us i guess uh, materials that could be reused as products and not with ending up like taking each component out one by one oh absolutely um you know apple laptops uh last 10 12 years and uh, recyclers receive uh apple laptops from uh you know schools and corporations after about five years so you know most of the apple laptops are only at the the halfway point in their life when they get to the recyclers um and and not only laptops but every recycler has an array of you know dozens of, of different types of products that each could represent uh you know a, a refurbishing business um the 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 thing that that frustrates me is that so much of the recycling business is is unwilling to uh, consider selling uh, you know used and repairable devices to refurbishers so that they can experience the second half of their life um, due to electronic uh, or due to uh, recycling certifications and policies and concerns about liability and things like that. The bigger re- uh, recyclers tend to uh, you know, destroy stuff and recycle um, by default, as opposed to uh, you know trying to get involved in reuse. So that's um, that's just one of the battles we have to fight. I think Let it, letting them know that you know we're out there and we want their we'll, we'll pay them good money for their inventory so that we can you know refurbish it and put it back out into the world. When at times we've seen there are actually some uh, agreements that recyclers working particularly with Apple have to go by where no component could be taken out for reuse. So, I mean, this is a larger issue of who retains ownership of the parts and whether reuse can be incentivized in a more open way. I guess your example is is a very good example in that respect. Yeah, yeah, it gets, it gets very tricky and... Um, you know, it makes sense that there would be regulation and certifications and, you know, every big industry needs some uh, sense of, uh, you know, organization and, and rules uh, in place. But it's, I think, I think the, that industry in particular needs to pay more attention to not, you know, not throwing away tens of millions of repairable devices, you know, just out of paranoia and, you know, a big company as well, you know, looks at, you know, to me, a pallet of 300 MacBooks looks, you know, like a good opportunity. But a massive multi-billion dollar corporation, you know, they may not see it that way. They may see it as a distraction to, uh, you know, sell that off to a small refurbisher. They may see it as a liability issue. They may see it as a violation of some policy or agreement. So um, I think it's going to be about just you know, contacting these people in, in a, a big way and seeing if we can convince them otherwise. And so you don't just focus on 
screen repairs. Your work in refurbishing can be applies to all kinds of repairs of of these devices. Oh, I I I refurbished. Uh, I I'm specifically uh, geared towards Apple uh, MacBooks. So I uh, yeah I churn out about a hundred MacBooks a week, um, and uh, I do basically all of the repairs that are relevant to uh, to MacBooks. Um, there are a lot of repairs I don't do because you know they, they may take uh, you know too much work. Uh, I tend to gravitate towards you know keeping things simple, um, breaking broken machines down and then rebuilding them uh, with good parts. Um, uh, being a refurbisher is all about uh, specializing and becoming you know super efficient and, and, and very very fast, so that you can you know crank out as many as possible. And have you seen a change in the type of laptops, uh, MacBooks that you can access uh, um, in the sense that these devices are becoming increasingly hard to access and to repair with more proprietary parts. Is this affecting your work at this point? Um, not so much yet because the average, uh, I, I like to say as a refurbisher, I live, you know, five to seven years in the past because I'm dealing with laptops that, you know, uh, were new five to seven years ago. Um, so not so much yet, uh, but, you know, it will become more of an issue. You know, the, the current uh, MacBooks don't have expandable RAM, which means that they will not be able to take uh, variations of the operating system uh, as far into the future as their predecessors did. Um, you know, everything's being consolidated onto the logic board uh, instead of having multiple parts in the machine. So, yeah, in the future, it will there won't be much to refurbishing because it will either be a, a bad screen or a bad board or a bad keyboard. There won't be many other parts that, that could be the issue. So as it consolidates, um, it uh, it becomes less and less sophisticated of an uh, endeavor, I guess you could, call it, could say. And with some of the faults you see on the screens, um, is is that are the majority of them due to smashed screens or is it due to the faults with graphics graphics cards? Uh, it's both. It's both. I, um, yeah, I take a lot of pictures of broken screens, and uh, then there's also the graphics processor defects. Um, my process is basically I, I take pictures of uh, broken screens, and also I have a thing for dead trees. I take pictures of dead trees. They look a lot like smashed screens, actually, so they kind of fulfill the same function in my art. And then I have dozens of machines that have the graphic processor defect, and they're each a little different. You can kind of think of them as filters. And so what I'll do is I'll uh, take my photographs, and I will load them onto a machine with um, a defect, and then I will provoke that defect on that machine so that it distorts the image. And then I'll take a picture of uh, the screen, and then I'll take that image and load it onto a different uh, machine with a defect, you know, provoke that one, take a picture. So in the art, is there's kind of a layering process, um, and I use the, the I use the pictures of broken screens as sort of source material, and then I manipulate those images by uh, copying them onto the uh, machines with uh, graphic processor defect. So that's that's kind of my process. That's yeah. That's interesting. That's evolved a lot from just sort of, I guess, finding finding broken screens and taking photos of them. It's very sort of purposeful now, I guess. 
Yeah, it's it's been an amazing thing. I mean, I never would have imagined starting my business that I would be a visual artist. There was, I had I had no no idea, and it's it's so many amazing things have come out of it. Like I said, I have I have friends uh, who are you know in the in the community. I'm I'm on a radio show like this. Like I would never would have <laughs> never would have thought of that a few years ago. And we're wondering if there's ever a point at which the sort of laptop or something is beyond repair and then and then you can sort of, I don't know, I mean, do you ever break the screens fairly yourself or do you, do you ever sort of just like find something that you have to take a hammer to or or is that sort of not really part of it? Uh, yeah, I'll do that. Um, there are a lot of, in refurbishing, there are a lot of, you know, you grade uh, quality, you know, A, a B, C, D quality. And if 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 a screen is you know beyond the point of being able to be resold as a working screen, and um, you know just because of scratches or whatever, uh, then yeah, I'm I'm known to uh, you know make some accidents happen. I guess you could say. Mm. And with regards, and, you know, and they. Yeah. Sorry. Continue. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. And and I I was just gonna say they they. They would get recycled uh, at recyclers, you know, regardless of, you know, whether they're broken or, or intact. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, uh, I was going to say, with regards to sort of just how the average person encounters glitches in their everyday life, because I mean, it happens to all of us. Do you? Th- I mean, is there a degree to which you can sort of learn to read those glitches as a sort of indicator of what's going wrong with the computer? Can they sort of become a, like a clue? Uh, for repairing them, and is that the kind of thing that someone could learn that might help them with their sort of developing repair skills? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't really repair the glitches because you know once your graphics processor uh, is starting to go, um, it's it's a pretty it's it's kind of a business in itself with its own gear that you have to own and expertise to, you know, replace the graphics processors. So it's, it's kind of a specialty that I'm, I'm not into to actually repair those. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can see on any given uh, MacBook, you know, occasionally it's, it, it's, not, uh, it's not uncommon to see a, a visual glitch, you know, an artifact or two on the screen, which is what the, the glitches are called when they sort of show themselves. Um, but yeah, a, a machine with with a defect will tend to show occasional glitches, and then as the the graphics processor heats up, you'll see more and more. And if it's really uh, badly defective, then you know the glitches will overwhelm the screen and uh, often cause the machine to you know shut down or restart. And sort of the ultimate uh, fate of these machines is usually, like I said, a black screen with a sleep light. And you know, once you've reached that point, there's the there's not much you can do. Mm. It's kind of beautiful. It makes me think of like the death of a star or something, like this big spectacular <laughs> kind of eruption and then blackness. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is a strange thing. It's kind of like a there are there are machines where you power them on and they um, as you know when when you power it on, it's cold, so it hasn't it it's not glitching. But then uh, as it boots up you'll see the glitches start and then uh, become more severe and then, you know, fade to black. So it's almost this bizarre 
electronic ballet that happens over, you know, a minute or two on, on some machine. Wow. <laughs> well, thanks <laughs> thanks so much for talking with us, John. That was really, really interesting. Um, and we hope we haven't disturbed your morning too much. But, yeah, that was a really fascinating insight into your work. So thanks for that. Thanks. Thank you very much. Good to talk to you guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Hi, you're listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM. Uh, I'm Lauren from the Restart Project, and I'm joined by co-founder Ugo Valari. Hi, Ugo. Hi. So this was really a fascinating insight into like a double life of someone who started as a repairer, but now he turns into a superhero artist yeah. by night. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I mean, I think also that it was interesting what he said about the glitch art community being a really strong sort of, you know, kind of international community of people, which I, I think must have loads of overlaps with, with repairers. And I know he uses iFixit a lot. He sort of mentions on his website. So, I mean, there would be a degree to which if you have that sort of insight into the way that things work, then, I mean, it's like naturally transferable skills, isn't it, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it just made me think about a, a memory in the old days of Restart, I think it was about four years ago, we ran an event at Central St. Martins and one of the researchers brought a fact, uh, a very old uh, MacBook Pro and it was, the screen was glitching on and off and uh, and the fix that this person had devised was the most one of the most beautiful ones I've ever seen. So he had come up with a series of clothes pegs that were attached to the two sides of the laptop. And when the pegs were on, the screen wouldn't flicker. But as soon as he took one or two, it would start flickering. And actually, as he was moving them, it was kind of playing the flickering like up. It was kind of like a performance in itself, wow. which could drive you crazy. Uh, <laughs> but it could also allow you to work if you're really stressed out and you need to finish a document. <laughs> and I thought that was one of those visible signs of repair, which we tend to kind of discount. But in this case, it was quite beautiful because it also showed that the problem was the amount of pressure and probably a loose connection somewhere. And rather than going through the potentially very um, stressful process of fixing it, finding the spare part. He had found like a beautiful alternative that also was there to start a conversation around repairing and uh, learning how things work. So that's fascinating. Yeah, that's a, that's a really amazing story. And it's, it's funny you say performance because I think uh, John used that term at the end, electronic ballet, which I think is really beautiful. And it sort of, it reminds me, actually, my brother had um, a phone with a big, I think this is a common uh, problem with iPhones, it got a big sort of black spot in the middle. And I think, I'm not quite sure what had happened to it, but every time you pressed on this black spot with his thumb, this sort of amazing kind of pattern of colours would light up the entire screen and sort of looked like there was water in there or something. You're sure it wasn't an app? <laughs> no, it definitely wasn't. And it was funny because every time you try and screenshot it, and obviously that didn't work because, you know. Yeah. Um, but 
but it was kind of really interesting that this phone had sort of turned into a, a toy just by virtue of being broken or, or had sort of a new kind of source of fascination. On the topic of screen flickering and weird things happening to screens, we've just come across this news uh, that Microsoft allegedly finally fixed this bug that's been affecting on and off its Surface Pro 4 uh, tablets. Basically, people have been complaining for the last couple of years that whenever there was a software update, then the screen will start flicker and then the following one, following update, it will stop flickering. But then the next update, it will start again and never really get fixed. Allegedly, this time has been fixed, but the fact that it took about two years since the original bug is quite worrying and tells you how easy it is for companies to deliver a new product rather than fixing the one that's already out there or perhaps it's no longer even being sold and they feel kind of less compelled to do that. Yeah, and this is after sort of pages and pages of discussion of this on the Microsoft Answers Forum. So, I mean, they, they were definitely well aware that it was happening. It's sort of just like, I mean, yeah, again, proof of this, this thing where the test stage is after it's sort of been on the market. You know, the consumers are the, the testers of the product, which is definitely not the way around that it should be. <laughs> And and screens attract always our attention, not only because at restart parties, especially when people bring smartphones, um, it's one of the most common problems. And it's a problem that you don't even have to troubleshoot because it's obvious when a screen is broken. But at times, even finding the replacement screen becomes a challenge. Uh, a few weeks ago, someone tweeted at us asking for help in finding a replacement screen for a fairly new Lenovo smartphone. I think it's called the P2. It's a strange story of a device that was only sold in the UK for six months between January and July 2017 and then disappeared from the market. And if you happen to have a broken screen, that's basically your problem at the moment because you can't find a replacement screen on eBay, on Alibaba, on official manufacturer's website nowhere. And that kind of poses the question of how far have manufacturers gone into this idea that they can just put stuff on the market and the support is simply just not there. I appreciate that if you drop your phone, you don't have access to warranty because you dropped it. But what about letting people be able to fix these phones, whether commercially or at community events. It's kind of the same problem. So we weren't able to help this person and no one has. We've only found tons of postings in uh, bulletin boards and forums saying, where are these screens and just nowhere to be found. And also linked to screens. I mean, screens are like a battleground for like durability of products. And uh, we spoke about this last year, how the European Commission has created better guidelines for an eco labeling for mobile, uh, sorry, tablet computers and uh, portable computers. And uh, it says very clearly how products should be tested for drop and the durability of screens, et cetera, et cetera. And yet 
approximately a year after the introduction of this eco-labeling, there isn't a single product available on the market anywhere in Europe which features this eco-labeling. So clearly it's not just about identifying what needs to be improved, but also making sure that companies then provide access to these products. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, we've just just been so used to seeing phones kind of follow this really streamlined, you know, thin design that anything that didn't, even if it was more durable and more repairable, which, yeah, obviously aren't always the same thing and are often not the same thing. But even if phone was designed differently, um, it just would look completely different. And so I think it's it's also, I mean, we have to get used to, as consumers, to realising that, you know, sometimes things do need to be sacrificed. So thinness might have to be sacrificed or, or lightweightness or various other things. But that is a discussion that should be happening sort of more in the open, I think. Absolutely. As we're getting to the end of the show, I'd like to point our listeners to a number of events that we are helping to run over the weekend. Uh, actually, the first is not even at the weekend. Tomorrow we're hosting a special meetup um, as a conversation on how to help people find access to repairs. At the, it's at the Green Lab and you can find more information on meetup.com slash restarters dash London. And restart parties are happening at the City of London on Saturday and at in uh, the Abbey Community Centre as well on Saturday. And this is all we have time for today. Uh, thank you for listening to Restart Radio. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Restart Project. Thank you.